This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the program this week, we speak to the New Zealand IndyCar driver Wade Cunningham about being at the centre of the horror crash that claimed the life of fellow racer Dan Weldon. We catch up with the outgoing All Blacks coach Graham Henry as he decides what his next challenge will be after eight years at the helm. We pick over the naming of next year's Super Rugby squads and chat to Blues assistant Bryce Woodward and Hurricane Centre Conrad Smith about the upcoming season. And we talk to triathlete Hamish Carter as he comes out of retirement. The New Zealand IndyCar driver Wade Cunningham started the year on a high after breaking into the top tier of the sport for the first time following a long battle in the Indy Lights feeder series. However, the 27-year-old ended it on a tragic low after being at the centre of the crash that claimed the life of British racer Dan Weldon at the season-ending Las Vegas 300. Cunningham is back home in Auckland for a small break before heading back to the United States on Sunday, and I caught up with him to discuss his turbulent year. It's just been a year of complete contrast. Anyone that's followed my career will know, you know, how long I, I struggled to, to break through to IndyCar, you know, how many years I spent in Indy Lights, even maybe unnecessarily, and then to finally break through to IndyCar, you know, was obviously immensely satisfying and uh, the combination of, you know, many years hard work and, and we got some good results in our, in our short partial season and then the season itself was ended abruptly before the chicken flag Las Vegas and, you know, one of the, the worst crashes IndyCar's seen ever. So, you know, very, uh, very contrasting for me. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously a tough day at Las Vegas for everyone involved and obviously a tough year for motorsport in general with the passing away of Marco Simoncelli as well. Yeah, no, it was just awful timing. Um, you know, Dan was a character who was brighter than life. Um, I don't need to espouse his, his racing uh, achievements at you know, they're pretty well known. It's Indy 500, uh, it's two Indy 500s and his IndyCar Series Championship. But the people he left behind are the people that matter, not not his trophies. So, you know, it was a really, really sad day. Um, and, you know, to be there, witness it and, and be part of it was, um, you know, a really tough and devastating day. And then the recovering from that and to, to read about Marcus Simon Shelley, another young driver uh, who had broken through to, to MotoGP, 24 years old, and he died as well. Um, doesn't get much worse than that. Does it remind you of the fact of just how dangerous the sport you are involved in, the sport you love is? Does it bring it home to you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, racing is one of those things that's inherently dangerous. Um, but I think uh, until a few weeks ago, we, we like to pretend that it isn't. Um, we we rationalise all sorts of ways, uh, new new um, technologies, new materials. You know, there hasn't been a death in so long. Um and then something like this comes comes along and really hits home, uh, and it makes you reassess uh, whether what you're doing is right, um, and that sort of thing. So if I want to keep racing, uh, it's what I love, 
where I derive most pleasure in life. So um, I, I couldn't give it away if I wanted, I don't think. But it does make you realize that, you know, we're not invincible, we're not immortal, and uh, faced with your own mortality, you know, not the not the easiest thing to, to deal with sometimes. So I'm um, back in New Zealand. I came back to spend some time with my friends, my family, and um, heading back on Sunday to, you know, to continue my push for next year. Can you take me through what it's like to be involved in a crash at speeds like that in Las Vegas? I mean, I can't get a handle on it myself. Obviously, I've never experienced it, but the sheer physics of it must be mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, we were we were doing 225 miles an hour uh, in, a, in a big pack of cars, which is you know, around 380 kilometers an hour. And you know, after the first uh, first few moments, it all it all really becomes just a giant blur. You're traveling so quick. You know, at that point, you just feel the sensations. The when you hit the wall, the sounds. You know, you see just cars moving in all directions, and you don't really have a, a grasp of what's actually going on until it stops again a few seconds later. So, you know, it was, <laughs> it was uncomfortable, but uh, I, I walked away from it, which I, I thought was incredible considering watching the replays and everything. Does time slow down when you're involved in that crash, or does it flash by in an instant? It definitely doesn't slow down. Um, one second we were entering turn one, and then the second second... Uh, we were in the turn two wall, so it happened very quick, and and you barely have time to react to sort of any anything. And what are your plans for next year? Obviously, you're heading back on Sunday to the United States, and obviously, like you say, you've had a breakthrough season in terms of breaking through to the, the Indy cars for the first time after a, a long period of battling in the, in the slightly lower tier. So next year, obviously, looking to kick on from some promising results from this year, and I guess um, getting behind the wheel is something you're probably quite looking forward to. No. Absolutely. Um, like I said earlier, it's been the six years hard work and delights trying to get to this point. And uh, so I'm looking forward to putting what I learned this year to good use. It's funny, the team owners in IndyCar lack imagination. So until they see you drive an IndyCar and get a good result, uh, they just assume you can't do it. Kind of just the purpose of a feeder series to me. But um, now that I've done it, you know, I feel that I'm in, you know, I'm off the ladder now and, I, and I'm waiting and uh, pushing for an opportunity. So I'm going to go back and uh, I'm talking to one team that's already fully funded uh, about uh, their seat. Um, I'm in discussions with another team that has a new sponsor coming on board and then, uh, you know, failing all that and not working out. Uh, for me, the, the next biggest goal is to secure an Indy 500 deal. Um, I did my four-race program this year as opposed to an Indy 500 deal and that was to get uh, experience and to, I guess, hedge my bets. But now uh, the Indy 500 is, is the race that counts, the one that has the prestige, the prize money. Uh, so uh, that's going to be the backup plan, just trying to get there and, and putting a program together for the month of May. Motorsport is, I guess, um, one of the most cutthroat businesses in that sense, if you're a promising talent trying to break through to that top level, because there's only a very few spaces. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the problem is, you know, we're racing against guys like Dario Franchitti, who's... He's 38 years old, but he's in the prime of his career. He's just won his fourth straight championship. He's won two 500s. You know, he's in uh, the best seat with with uh, Target Chip Ganassi Racing, and he's not going anywhere. So um, the the seat market isn't isn't very active in IndyCar. Drivers aren't moving on, um, so it does make it tough. But it's just going to have to make it that much more rewarding when they do get there full time. And you know, I'm confident that uh, it could happen for next year. And I guess um, an example from back home, Scott Dixon. It can be done. No, absolutely. The guy's um, the guy's done an excellent job. He's you know a role model to, to thousands of kids coming up through the ranks, and uh, he's been sitting in one of the best seats in American motorsports since 2002 when he signed with Ganassi. He's actually their longest-running driver ever. Um, so you know, hats off to him. He's done a great job, and he continues to get results. And 
Uh, he's just been his, I don't know, fifth or sixth year in a row inside the top three in the championship. So he's uh, he definitely deserves where he's at. Do you dream of Formula One? Is that every motorsport driver's dream? I did when I was younger, you know, when I was racing cars. But when I looked at my career, well, a potential career and, and how we were going to get there, um, the path to Formula One was, was too long and, and too expensive. So it, for me at the time when I made the step onto the Formula car ladder, it, just, it wasn't even an opportunity. Um, so I don't dream of Formula One. To me, I've been in America now uh, six years. And the Indianapolis 500 is something in itself. It, for me, it's bigger than any other race in the world. And it's difficult to explain to people who haven't been there how, how it's a two and a half mile over, which, you know, around four kilometers. But the, the facility itself is huge and it sits inside the middle of the city. So it's an awesome spectacle. It's an awesome race. And so to me, that is uh, the pinnacle of motorsports. Is that pathway to Formula One the same for all New Zealand drivers? Is that, in essence, what you're saying, that coming from New Zealand, it's a lot harder than anything else? No, it's, it's not impossible. Uh, a few drivers had the right idea. When you start on the, on the path, you need, you need to be in the right situation. Um, you know, Brendan Hartley did a good job to get involved in the Red Bull program, and uh, he, was, he was on the right path. He, he maybe might not have been there at the right time or uh, didn't get the results that were required to continue on it, um, but it can be done. And I think, uh, you know, Mitch Evans is on a very similar path. The, the, funding, the funding is always the hardest part, so it's... As long as that's there, you can you know you can get all the way up to GP2, and then then it comes down to your results and uh, if you're good enough. Okay, wait, it's been great talking to you. I'm just going to ask you one last question. Going back to the IndyCar, of course, the safety regulations. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk in the, in the news media and around the world with regards to IndyCar improving their safety regulations after the Las Vegas incident. Um, talked of the, the the catch nets and, and various other things and the ovals where they're travelling too fast. Las Vegas in particular. Do you have any concrete opinions on that? And would you like to see some changes made? I, I really don't. Um, the current car package, which is being retired now, there's a new chassis coming up for next year at IndyCar. I think it's done an excellent job with the technology that was around when it was designed in 03. If you see the kind of impacts we have on, on ovals, especially sort of the mile and a half um, when we are traveling 225 miles an hour, people hit concrete walls and because of the design of the car and how safe it has been, you're expected to walk away. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of knee-jerk reactions, uh, a lot of speculation in the media about the cars. But, you know, unfortunately what happened with Dan, it doesn't matter how safe the, the race car is. You know, we're in an op- open a cockpit formula and, uh, you know, he had a head trauma. So the only option is to enclose the top of the car, but then that all of a sudden is no longer an IndyCar, it's a sports car. So I'm not sure... Uh, you know, what the solution is or if there is one to that sort of problem. Um, I'm not an expert. I don't pretend to be in, you know, I don't want to speculate. But I think IndyCar's done a great job. Uh, they're doing an investigation now. Um, they'll release their findings when, when it's finished. But I think on the whole, uh, with what they have, IndyCar have done a good job. They've got a great safety team. So, no, I, I don't think there's anything uh, more, other, you know, than a few tweaks or procedures here and there that, that they need to do to make IndyCar racing, uh, quote, safer. The New Zealand IndyCar driver Wade Cunningham. Nine days after coaching the All Blacks to only their second World Cup win, Graham Henry's announced he's stepping down from the job he's held for the past eight years, having coached the side to 88 wins in 103 tests. Henry's decision wasn't unexpected, although after the nerve-wracking 8-7 win over France, the 65-year-old did point out that age isn't necessarily an obstacle to coaching success, citing the example of Manchester United's manager Sir Alex Ferguson, who turned 70 on New Year's Eve. Henry's coached Test Rugby since 19. 
1998 when he moved to Wales and says it's been a privilege. But at some stage, you know, you, you get to the stage where you think, well, I don't want to battle this anymore. I've done my bit and I've really enjoyed it and it's been a privilege, but it's time to move on and do other things. And the people who are close to me want me to do that as well. And that's not their decision, but it's a very important part of it. So Ray and the kids who, and my mum, God bless her, have been marvellous in their support. They went through hell on last Sunday. There's a very fine line between being the hero or the villain. I know that line very well, probably more than most. And that puts huge pressure on the people who have got no control over that. So I have a routine every week uh, leading into, into Test Match Rugby and a routine during the year to try and make sure that we're prepared as best we can. They have got no routine except hope. And that's a difficult situation. So there's a lot of pressure and they feel that pressure and they feel that pressure just walking around the people that they meet. And... As I was saying, they are not the reason why I'm giving up, but they've been a very important part of what, we've been, what has happened over the last number of years, and I understand that totally. And so that's part of the reason, not the major reason, for moving on. Uh, the other reason is that I've got a few other things I want to do, and they are stimulating things. Like the rugby site. The rugby site say internet coaching website that I'm a partner in. I'm very excited by its potential. I'm also involved in a, another business. One of the goals I had a few years ago was, 40 years ago, 35, was to run my own business. So at my middle age, I'm able to do that, which is good. So I'm looking forward to that. So there's other things to be done, which I'm excited about. I'm involved in an export-import business out of China um, with, a, with some other people, some are involved in rugby, and um, that's stimulating as well. So I, I don't know if I'm very good at it, but I enjoy it. It's a different environment, different people, uh, and it's not controlled by the scoreboard. Graham Henry. And this is Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. New Zealand's Super Rugby franchises unveiled their squads for the 2012 season earlier this week with few surprises. Just where All Blacks and other key players were to be based had already been announced. The most notable talking point was the Highlanders who announced the signing of England loose forward James Haskell. All up, there are 28 new players named in the various franchises with 153 players contracted. The Hurricanes are one side to have seen some major changes with All Blacks Andrew Hoare, Ma'anonu, Piriwepu, Aaron Cruden and and Jose Gere all moving on. Still there, though, was World Cup winning All Black centre Conrad Smith, who told Stephen Houston the departure of those players is finally starting to sink in. I got a feel for that um, towards the end of last season and sort of saying farewells to a, a lot of the guys that I'd started my career with. There was probably a, you know, a bunch of seven or eight of us that all started that same um, year and had, had played a lot of games together, but uh, I'm about the only one left. Uh, and, and that's exciting, you know, it's going to be something different for me and um, different for a lot of the boys, but, uh, you know, I, I can see myself in, still uh, still enjoying it and it's, you know, I love love playing for this team, so it's uh, not going to be any different there. 
you've been well, spent the past few weeks though with, with a few of those guys too. So it, does it now feel a bit different though? Yeah, I, I must admit, um, you know, even talking to Ma'a and Pity uh, in, in that last week, it was strange to think, you know, I'm going to turn up and train without seeing uh, particularly those two guys um, running around in the backs. But uh, that's probably not something I'll get used to till, I'm, uh, till next year. But uh, yeah, it's, it is what it is. And, um, you know, obviously from their part as well, just learn to live with it and find, find a way to enjoy it anyway. What are your thoughts about another Super Rugby season? Given you're coming off the hype of, of the, the World Cup, it's probably different for you know different people. But I'm uh, pretty excited just the fact that it's, it's so different. If it was going in with the same group of lads and, and trying to you know achieve the same thing, then um, it might be a little tough. But you know the, the challenge that we've got and the, you know the new faces in it, it's, it's something that excites me already. Even though it's a long way away, and you know I'm, I'm going to enjoy my break and uh, certainly refresh myself. But you know it's, it's going to be in the back of my mind the whole time, and uh, you know I can't wait to you know when it rolls around to, to play for the side and um, try and make a good fist of the season. What are the plans for for a break? Uh, yeah, travelling for um, see my folks for a few days and then. Uh, partner and I, you know, off around South America and states and Europe and all sorts. So, one thing I don't really get to do while, while playing, and one thing I love doing. So, sort of using the break as best I can. So, does that mean you stay away from the gym altogether? Or how, um... Yeah, yeah, and that uh, could take its effect. I might um, come back quite a bit lighter than I am now, but uh, yeah, that's what pre-seasons for. I've got a few weeks pre-season before the games start, and uh, yeah, I think I'll have a bit of work to do. How do you assess besides chances? I mean, you're obviously not not favourites on the with the bookies, but is it a case of trying to avoid the wooden spoon? Um, oh, I don't I don't think um, we look at things like that. I think we'll have um, a lot of goals, and that's what you know excites me about the team. In, in the year, there's uh, a lot of things probably off the field that um, we'll be trying to achieve as well as on, and um, you know I think we'll gauge our success that way, and I, I think. There's enough there to suggest that you know we'll, we'll put in some good performances, and there's enough pride from the guys that have been here before and, and playing for the Hurricanes that you know we'll we'll, um, we'll put out good showings you know each week. Have you put your hand up for the, the captaincy? Uh, it's something you know. Obviously, we've been going through a different campaign, and um, there's no real rush in, in that area, and you just sort of have to talk through it. And if uh, you know if I feel I'm, I'm the best for it, then then I'm happy to do it. But. Uh, like I say, it's, it's more about the team, and, and I love playing for them, so we'll, we'll sort that out in due course, I think. Have you had to do a few introductions, given the, uh, the nature of the score? Yeah, I mean, there's a few um, names there I don't know too well, so, you know, when, when I get to meet them, I'll... Uh, but, you know, long seasons this year, so there's plenty of uh, plenty of time to meet them, and, uh, yeah, like, most of the boys I do actually know, and every year there's always a few new faces, I think that's all... Um, part of the excitement. And maybe just a, a word on Graham Henry's departure. I mean, as a coach, what, I suppose, singled him out from, from other coaches you've had? Were there aspects of him that, that you, you think about that, that are only only Ted? Uh, oh, he's, he was certainly unique in a lot of ways. Um, I, I, I just always thought, you know, the way he... Um, it was his management of... Um, you know the team and, and other coaches the way he could use the expertise of you know obviously um, Wayne and Steve but um, also you know wider with um, you know when you look at the other coaches he, he brought in and then the way he could manage players and, and get the best out of them I, I just think it takes a, a real skill and um, something that you know a uh, lot, lot of coaches you know should aspire to be, to be. you know he uh, obviously have a great knowledge of the game but a lot of people have that it was 
it was then um, using everyone and, and knowing what, what a team needed to, to get them up each week and he seemed to know how to do that. Do you feel as though you ever got to know him? Yeah, yeah, he, um, yeah, I mean, I got you know, pretty close with him, obviously, when you spend that much um, time and um, when you come a bit more experienced and you have uh, even more meetings with him week to week and he sort of comes to you asking you about things, so, you know, he's, he's a great guy and he'll be uh, sorely missed, but, um, you know, like, like he said himself, it's, he, he's done his bit and now it's um, for others to carry on. Conrad Smith talking to Stephen Hewson. There are only four new faces in a strong Blues squad, former Hurricanes and current All Blacks Ma Nonu and Piri Wepu and Super Rugby rookies George Moala and David Raikuna. The squad includes 13 past or present All Blacks, among them New Zealand's 2011 IRB Player of the Year Award nominees Nonu Wepu and Jerome Kainor. Among those missing from last season are John R. Four, Luke McAllister, Joe Rokothoko, Stephen Brett and Jared Payne, who are in Europe or Japan. There can be up to 32 players in a squad but assistant coach Bryce Woodward says they've opted for 30 to fit under the salary cap. Woodward says Moala and Raikuna will boost offensive options in a backline that includes Wepu, Albie Mathewson, Nonu, Rene Ranger, Isaiah Toyava, Rudy Wolf, and Sherwin Stowers. George has played a lot of his rugby at centre. Uh, at, at ITM Cup level for Auckland he played on the wing. Uh, they, they bring... Um, in George's case he's a big powerful man and he's got a step on him. I don't want to compare him necessarily with other players but he is a bit of a, a young Rennie Ranger if you like. He's powerful, he's explosive and he can beat players and he's a little bit raw to this level of footy so um, we're quite excited about what he brings to the table. David Raikoon has worked pretty hard over the last few seasons to earn this opportunity. Uh, he's played a little bit for New Zealand Sevens and He's quite explosive, as we saw in the ITM Cup. He, he can beat players and open up opportunities, and we felt that that would balance our steadier players that provide good line running, good finishing, uh, like Benson Stanley and, and others. Your midfield obviously looks pretty settled. What about 10? How do you see that panning out in terms of <coughs> well, starting? Well, Perry came to us as a 10-9, as a and we signed Michael Hobbs as a 10-12, and obviously Gareth Anscombe is a 10. Uh, on top of that, we have uh, Lockie Munro for emergency. So Lockie will, will initially look to play in the outside backs. So what, what transpires is, is, is really how good a pre-season they come. Uh, Blues rugby is all about competition for positions and spaces and, and performance on the day. And to ensure your selection the following week, you've got to perform in the game that's ahead of you. And so we'll be looking to create competition across most places in the, in the, in the team, in fact, in every, every position in the, in the team. Yeah, Gareth, a, a part of a crop of quite exciting young tens coming through, isn't he? Yeah. Bowden Barrett and people like that spring to mind. Yeah, he's, he's one of, of um, Bowden Barrett, Lima Sopawanga. Uh, Blowendale Bla- from Canterbury and, and Gareth and, and one, of, one or two of those are going to go on and be All Blacks over the next sort of four or five years you know where they've got Cruden sort of come through now and Dan Carter signed for another four years so uh, they're going to have to work hard to achieve a standard which I think is great for them because it's not a, going to be an easy transition through they're going to have to work hard to get it What are you doing pre-season? When do you start? We start on the 22nd of November and we have a combination of 
fitness, obviously strength and conditioning is a big part of pre-season, but we're also going to work a lot on decision making and uh, from a backline point of view, which obviously I have a special interest in, we want to do a lot of passing and alignment and depth running drills, which transfer hopefully into a good backline performance and, when the season starts. And games, uh, pre-season games? Uh, from memory we have three, uh, Highlanders, Hurricanes and the Rebels in Melbourne. Bryce Woodward agrees the Blues are better at scoring tries than they are at defending their goal line, so defence is going to be a huge focus in pre-season. Because test matches are won with defence, as we saw through the World Cup, and some of this rugby is, is played close to that intensity, so clearly it's an area that we want to make improvements on, but there are others as well that um, our decision-making, we feel, needs some major improvement, and we're going to do a lot of contextual training to try and help in that area. Um, Pat's going to do the overall defence, but I'll be helping in running sessions along with other senior members of the side. How do you balance the, the need to stiffen the defence against the, the fact that you also want to you want a modicum of entertainment and tries being scored so that you get, you get the bums <laughs> on the seats? Because defence is almost in the World Cup was was really dominant, yes. and there was a lot of quite a lot of static play there. The, the ball just sitting behind the ruck for quite a long yes. time. Yeah, well, the bottom line is you, you're, you're trying to win, win the footy. And if you have a leaky defence, you, you aren't going to win a lot of games. But, um, it, you know, I, I, I'd spoken to Richie McCaw a while ago and he says Super Rugby is definitely a step down for Test Match intensity. So there are going to be players that are weaker than you find during those business end of the World Cup. And so as a consequence of that, there will be more space and room to operate. So I think you'll see, not back to the glory days of the very early Super Rugby where there were tries galore, but you will see more tries than you saw in the business end of the World Cup. And it's our job to um, make as tight a defence as possible. And if we can do that, well, then we're going to win games. And I think from a spectator point of view, a Blues fan will know they'll get a few good stuff, the tries but uh, they'll be even more pleased if we can win games and win a lot of games. Bryce Woodward. The Olympic Games gold medalist Hamish Carter has announced he's coming out of retirement to compete at next month's World Cup triathlon event in Auckland. It's six years since he last competed in a triathlon but won't be racing in the elite division, rather competing in the age group event. Carter told Stephen Hewson his motivation isn't winning, but rather about inspiring the next generation of triathletes. Had a wee bit of time away from the sport. Um, I've moved on to quite a few other things, and look, the main reason is uh, an event like this is really important to um, triathlon New Zealand, and it really builds on our history. And having been involved in the event at the board level, um, I've just thought, look, it'd be I've got to, you know, I certainly couldn't stand on the sideline. I'd dearly love to race it. Do you have to go through any qualifying procedure? Well, this. This, remember, I'm only racing age groups, so this is the um, you know the participation side of the event. Although I'll point out that at that at this level, um, level there's lots of people who train really hard and they're in very good shape. So um, uh, for the so there's two events. This the first event is a World Cup, uh, which is in a couple of weeks, and the next event next year is going to be the World Championships, which you would have to qualify for. So, um, yeah, quite big um, events on the triathlon calendar. So the fact that it's a World Cup event and you're in the, the age-grade category, you don't have to go through any qualifying procedure? 
No, so well, the World Cup side of things is for the elites, and they do qualify. That, that's the, probably the best, you know, the only best triathletes in the world could race that. But for everyone else who wants to just take part, there's um, yeah, there's age group waves which um, I'll be a part of, and um, and that's the part of the race that I'll be doing. Now you've kept reasonably reasonably fit. What sort of level do you think you're at? Um. At a level which would be, I would estimate, 10% of what I would probably used to be at. And um, and that's, that's that's actually quite good. I think I've, you know, still feel like I can enjoy running, but I'm talking 20, 30 minutes, half an hour jogs here. Um, the challenge will be, really, this is a two-hour race, and I'm not used to that, so it's definitely going to be a struggle for me. Uh, you, you've done a few a few biking events too, haven't you? Oh, I've done a few um, mountain bikes and teams at, at various triathlons, and I've stayed quite close to the sport. It's really about, I've never really stuck the, the swim, the bike, and the, and the run together in one day, and so that's going to be the, although I'm, I'll be used to it, I certainly won't be um, fit enough to deal with it at a high level, so it's going to be pretty interesting. You mentioned that you want to be part of it, but how tough is it going to be not to... to try and win oh look no I, I wouldn't expect to be even near the front it must be tough though given your, your background when we get out there is that is nature yeah, going to take I'll, over I'll, I'll, yeah I'll probably get um, pretty fired up I'll probably get frustrated that I can't you know race well again um, but actually the this this side of the sport is a really unique aspect of triathlon and um, it's um, these are the weekend warriors, and these two work full time. Um, which you know, you, you got a lot of respect for that. And look, I'm going to enjoy just the fact that I can be a part of it. I, I don't think I'll be setting the world on fire, but and I think I want to enjoy that because uh, I'm not taking the sport too seriously as I used to. Um, so it's a really, it's a really different perspective. It's not part of some grand plan to make a, a big comeback. <laughs> no, I can guarantee you. <laughs> There's no plan for a comeback. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be much use um, at the top level again. I've I raced for 15 years, and towards the end of that, I um, I very much had felt like it was time to move on. So really, this is just about staying in shape and and just enjoying the sport that I spent most of my life doing. Hamish Carter talking to Stephen Hewson. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.